I am honored and privileged uh, to be able to speak today on the magnitude of music. And I love music. Uh, it is a great gift from God. And what I'm afraid is it is a vastly overlooked tool in the arsenal of the average Christian. We have opinions of music. We have, we've heard preaching on music. Uh, we focus a lot on the wrong kinds of music. And all of that is good but we fail to utilize the right kind of music to the best of its ability. Uh, if you will, take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 5, and we're going to read a couple verses of Scripture. I told Brother Charlie last night that uh, he saved me a lot of time in the session this morning because he really preached the introduction to my message this morning. And uh, so all I'm going to do now is just kind of reinforce just a couple of those things before we move on. But Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 18 the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And we understand that this is not, uh, the, the full context is not necessarily an anti-drinking verse, although that, that's good, but it's really talking about as that wine, as that beverage would control your life and would fill you and direct and, and alter your thought process, so then should we be filled with the Spirit of God and give ourselves over to the Spirit, allowing Him to control our lives, allowing Him to direct our thinking and all of that thing. So with that in mind, we now come to verse number 19. So we're talking about the Spirit-filled Christian. Verse number 19 will then be speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So much is preached and emphasized on corporate church worship music, and rightfully so. We have to safeguard the sanctity of our worship music, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But this particular verse is talking to the individual. It is talking about you, yourself, what you are supposed to be doing. Now, uh, allow me to, to drive this home just a little bit further. Our eyes and our ears are gateways into the mind. Everything that we see with our eyes, everything that we consume with our ears, it is literally an inroad to the mind. So it shapes the perspective that we have each and every day. Now, as we are specifically speaking to music in this session, we'll keep our focus on this medium. Research shows that the average American spends 18 hours a week listening to music. Now that breaks down to about 3 hours and 51 minutes per day that the average American spends listening to music. To put that in perspective, if we assume, and I, I believe for the most part that we can for the crowd that's here, if we assume that a Christian attends Sunday school, morning worship, a Sunday evening gathering, and a Wednesday night Bible study, that amounts to about 4 hours a week. If that same Christian then spends 30 minutes a day in what we typically considered our daily devotions, that brings the total amount of time that the average Christian is focused on God to a mere seven and a half hours a week. Seven and a half hours a week focused on God, 18 hours a day just listening to music. Now, here is where the importance of God-honoring music comes into play. In a little while, I'm going to define that term of, of what we mean, or rather what I mean by God-honoring music. But if our music consumption is worldly in both content and style, 
style of music is so important as well, and we're going to talk here in just a little while, but if our consumption of music is worldly in content and style, then we will undoubtedly have a worldly perspective and outlook on life. It's unavoidable. There is no way in the world that seven and a half hours of influence on the focus of God can ever outweigh and undo 18 hours spent focusing on the world. Now, if we utilize those 18 hours of music listening and we marry them and put them in conjunction with our other seven and a half hours of God awareness, now what we are doing is we are setting ourselves up to have a shift in focus from the world and on worldly things and worldly ideologies. And now we are bringing upwards of over 23 hours a week that is directing our heart and our mind to God. We are now setting ourselves up to have God as the centerpiece of our life. Remember, I said three hours and 51 minutes a day. For easy math's sake, let's just say four hours a day that we spend listening to music. How much different would our life be if we utilize those four hours for more than just background noise, for more than just having something to break the monotony of the day, but actually utilize those four hours to center our focus on God? I guarantee you our perspective throughout the day would be far different. So as we move throughout this study of the day, I've got three goals that I want to try to show us out throughout the day. We want to identify the nature of music, or rather what makes music either worldly or God-honoring. We want to look at the function of music, how music impacts our thinking, and then the application of music, which is how we can use music in our individual daily worship. I encourage you with this. I encourage you to listen with an open heart. And allow God to speak directly to you. There may be some things, some opinions that I have that you may sit there and say, ah, you know what, I don't agree with that completely. We may not see eye to eye on this. But I will say this. There is no way that we can listen with an open heart and an open mind to what God is trying to teach us and leave here without knowing that God is very intentional in our use of music. And that it plays a vitally important role in our life. Before we pray, I'll direct your attention to 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 14 through 16, which says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy for I am holy. In all manner of conversation, in all manner of lifestyle, in everything that enters into our life, we are to consecrate it as holy before the Lord. So may we go to God in a word of prayer and invite Him into this study time today. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us today. We're grateful for this conference for this week, the, the truths that have been taught and the application that we can apply these in our lives. And we ask that You would knit our hearts together now. I know that so many times music can be a sensitive topic, it can be a, a point of contention and, and friction, and God, I'm asking that you would have your hand to remove all of those things, to allow us to lay aside any kind of personal preferences or, or anything to that nature, and be focused solely on finding your heart in the matter. May we be unified together with you, and may you have your will and your way in all that is said and done. For it is in Christ's name that I pray, amen. 
we want to begin with, with kind of laying out the nature of music. Is it God-honoring or is it flesh-gratifying? All music will fulfill one of two possibilities. There is no in-between. It will either gratify the flesh or it will honor God. Music in and of itself is, is amoral to the fact that it is, it is left at the hands of the one utilizing it. And so the person using... Music is a tool. We can explain it that way. Music is a tool. And based on how I use that tool, I can either utilize it to honor God or utilize it to honor flesh. But there is no way that it can just be used and nothing get built from it. It is going to be used in one of those two ways. So uh, we can have music which honors God, I mentioned that earlier, and it not necessarily be what we consider sacred music. I want to define sacred music. The term sacred music refers to music which directs our heart into the worship of God. That is what we mean by sacred music. It is to be treated with care and respect and sanctity. In our personal vehicles, in our house, in our churches, sacred music is to be handled with care because ultimately it is to be used to honor God. When we cheapen our sacred music, we literally cheapen the very act of worship of God. So we must be very careful with how we handle sacred music. However, there is this other term of God-honoring music. And by, by that I mean, for the purpose of this session, it's that music which may not necessarily direct our heart to worship, but it does not direct our heart to the world. Allow me to explain. Proverbs 17, verse 22, the Bible says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. God literally created laughter. He created that merry heart. It delights Him to see His children laughing. Not laughing at the humor and the rudiments of this world. Not laughing at the sinful lust and the fleshly desires that the world says is funny. But when we laugh at wholesome things, it delights God. I use this illustration. One of our go-to Friday fun day songs here on Mid-Morning Manna is Bruce Fry's Nip It in the Bud. <laughs> now, when you listen to Nip It in the Bud, does it direct your heart in worship? Well. I guess it depends <laughs> on who you are. But ultimately, no, that, that does not bring a longing towards God. It does not direct your heart in the goodness of God. It does not bring necessarily God at your focus. But what it does is it provides some good-hearted laughter. We can sit there and it'll bring a smile to our face. We can grin. It, it lifts up our spirit a little bit. And it just brings some joy. Nothing that we have to be embarrassed about that we're laughing at. Nothing that if somebody was to come in and say, what are you laughing at? We would have to go, oh, 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 oh no, nothing, nothing, don't worry about it. No, we can share the joy in it. It is good, clean humor. And by that, when we as believers use what God has created in a way in which He intended for it to be used, it honors God. It's just like our job. And when we go to work, if I build a house and I use the talents, and I use the tools to honor and to please God, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I don't have to be a carpenter that is only building church buildings or that is only building mission houses in order to be using my talents for His honor and for His glory. But so long as I am not using it for fleshly things, God can still be honored 
in that way. So there is a category of music that is out there that it's not directing our hearts to the world, it's not putting our mind on fleshly lust and fleshly desires, it's just good, clean, wholesome music. But what I want to explain is this. It is important that we do not have too much of an imbalanced diet on these just-for-fun songs. We can consider those uh, like a treat. You know, they're, they're, they're like a sweet at the end of the meal. And you know what? A little in moderation is great. They're delightful. They bring joy. But a steady diet of sweets will ruin your appetite for the needful. And if we fill our life solely on those humor-filled songs, solely on those feel-good type songs, and we neglect completely the sacred music except for what is sung in church and when we're at special church services, and we never invite that, that needful aspect of music into our life, we are robbing our appetite of what we need. We've got to have it. Now, I believe it can be said without hesitation that songs speaking of drinking, drugs, promiscuity, rebellion, anger, that utilize foul language, are there, there's no question. We cannot have those in any way, shape, or form in our life. And I think we would all agree in those things. However, I believe that many Christians place all of their eggs in the proverbial basket of lyrics. They judge the quality of a song solely on the words that are sung. When the Bible has much to say, not only about the words, which are vitally important, you've got to have God-honoring words, but there is also very much truth in the actual music itself, in the style of the music, in what the music is generating in our hearts. I'll say this. Sensual music, which generates these feelings of love, as the world calls it, may have its place between a husband and a wife, that style of music, but it has no place whatsoever when we are singing songs about the love of God. Right? It, it, it should not add up. I should not be listening to a song that is intended to draw me into a love of God and have the same kind of feelings on the inside that I do when I hear a song that draws me into the love of my wife. That's why it's so important, and that's what gets so much of our modern Christian music in trouble, because it is taking the world's sound, blending it with God's lyrics, and expecting God to bless it. We've got to draw the line. We've got to draw this parallel. And so as we move down now to this next point of the function of music, I want to outline that, how music actually impacts our thinking. And when I use the term music, I'm talking the sound, not the words, the sound. How music impacts our thinking. It has been scientifically proven by people far smarter than I that music directly impacts our thoughts, moods, and attitudes. In the book, The Music Within You, there were two certified music therapists that were also uh, New York University instructors. They were on record as saying, music is communication, and communication is music. They then went on to say that music is a form of non-verbal communication. Music is the language of the soul. It is how the soul expresses what is going on in the inside. That's why musicians are literally considered artists. 
They are, they're just painting with a different canvas. But they are expressing what is being moved on the inside and they are pinning that down through the use of music. This is why certain songs are played in critical moments of movies, sporting events, etc. Now, you can't have something that, that takes place at McLeansville Baptist Church without Rocky coming up at some point in time. But, but take, take, it's got to be one of the most iconic movie scores of all time. The Rocky training montage. The Rocky theme song. Gonna fly now. There's Rocky, man. He's out there training. That dramatic music comes on. You know, he's, he's building on. And it, it ultimately crescendos into the big climax of him tackling those stairs and jumping up victoriously in the top. And I don't care how overweight you are, there is no way that you can watch that paired with that music and not want to be like, man, I want to tackle some stairs. It just it moves you in that way. Now picture that scene of that movie paired with the Blue Danube. Anybody familiar with that song? One of my first encounters with that song was an old Looney Tunes cartoon that I remember years ago. But you'll you'll remind it. It goes da 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 da. Now, if you were to take that same music over Rocky, you would look at it and you would go, what is this guy doing? Why is that making... Why is he punching those frozen meat? Why is he running up and down? Why is he sweating so hard? It just doesn't add up. Why? Because the music is not matching what it is that is trying to be conveyed. But... When you pair it with that music, now all of a sudden there is something down on the inside of the viewer that says, I get that, I want that, I need to acquire that. And the music itself moves. I can illustrate some more. It conveys, music conveys certain feelings and emotions. You watch, uh, you watch a movie or you, you uh, watch maybe a play or a production or something, you want to generate sadness and you want to get somebody to cry, there's a certain style of music. You go to a restaurant and you want that restaurant to get you in and out in a hurry, they don't play soothing music. Hey, prop your feet up and stay a while. No, they play something peppy because they want you to hurry up and eat, get that food down your gullet and get out so that they can make more money on your table. You want to build some suspense? Play a specific type of music. It's a funny thing to do to watch a thriller movie. You know, one of those where it's like, man, what's going to happen? Man, you know, that's where the guy is. Don't go there. But if you mute that and you take away the music, the suspense is gone. Now it's just you're watching this going, what is that idiot doing? I mean, it's been clear as day for the last 30 minutes that you don't need to go there because that's where all them other people got killed at. What? It's the music. It is not the scene itself that moves you to, to anxiety. That moves, it is the music that affects the heart. That is what it is. It is the music that is altering mood and is influencing our thought process. This is why we must be so careful and pay so close attention about what our music outlet is during the day. Think about this. We are bombarded with stress, anxiety, assaults, and sinful fleshly urges constantly. And if our music feeds all of these things, you can be assured that you will respond to these situations in the flesh. I used to work with a young lady. 
at one of the jobs uh, way back in the day. And I uh, walked up beside her, and she had her phone, she had her play, and, and, and it, I, can't even, I couldn't even tell you what the music was. It was noise, but it was something. And she looked at me, and she said, she said, oh, you'll have to excuse me. This is my angry music. This is, what, this is what I play when I'm mad. And I asked her, and I said, doesn't this make you madder? And she said, yeah. And I asked her, I said, what sense does that make? Why, when I'm angry, do I want to listen to something that's going to make me even more angry. But she associated, I'm angry, this feeds my anger, it helps me to stay in that area. We kid ourselves if we think that just because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, if we listen to music that the world has identified as angry music, we kid ourselves if we can think that we're listening to it and it's not having some kind of effect and impact into our life. Now, if we go to the other side of the spectrum, and if we use music as a tool to keep our mind in line, in line with God, it will aid us in this very spiritual warfare that we're entangled in. Consider Exodus chapter number 15, verses 1 through 3. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord. For he hath triumphed gloriously. This is right on the other side of the Red Sea. He hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. It is important to note that here in verse number 2, this, the Lord is my strength and my song, that the Hebrew word used that is translated as song right here is only used two other times in Scripture. And in all three instances of this particular Hebrew word, it is translated to directly refer to the instrumental music, not the spoken song. So let's put that in mind. Moses declares, the Lord is my strength and my song, the instrumental music. And the Lord is a man of war. Can we understand then that the right kind of music can sometimes be the very turning point in the spiritual song, that we're, or rather in the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in? Utilize it. Use it. Tap into it. Consider again 1 Samuel chapter number 16, verses 14 through 23. If you want to kind of take your Bibles and turn there so that you can see the full context of everything. 1 Samuel chapter number 16. This here is, is after uh, the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. Saul has, has crossed that point of no return, so to speak, and God has said, you know what, I'm now going to remove my good spirit from you, and instead He sent a bad, a negative spirit to plague King Saul. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 14, the Bible says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. Pay attention to all this. 
Does not say who is a melodious singer who has a voice sent from an angel. No, they say a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person. And the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse, and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread, and a bottle of wine, and a kid, and sent them by David his son unto Saul. David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Now listen to what David's responsibility was. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, Saul was under a direct spiritual attack, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Now we know that David could pin down some mighty powerful lyrics to some songs. I mean, the, the, the book of Psalms is just filled with, with, with audible testaments to the goodness of God and the deliverance of God and the power and the glory and the majesty of God. But at this particular instance, what David is credited for is he is credited as knowing how to play music that soothe the assault of the enemy. Now, we are foolish to say that the music doesn't matter. The power is in the words. They go hand in hand. Because if you combine the right style of music, the right music that is, that is speaking to the heart, and you combine that with the right kind of lyrics that honor God, you now have a winning combination for the day. Because as the music impacts the spirit, the words impact the mind, and collectively, the person is prepared to deal with and resist the assault from the enemy. You've got to marry the two together. Now, we've laid out all the particulars. Let's get down to the meat of the matter. And look at the application of music. How do we use music? How do we go about incorporating this into our daily worship? Because for so long, music has been involved in the worship service of the church. We have specific music that is played on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, on Sunday nights, on revival services. We understand worship music in church. Or, Well, let me rephrase that. We should have a better understanding of worship music in church. But how do we put that into play Monday through Saturday when we're not in these sacred halls? What do we do? I'd like to read a few verses of Scripture. Psalm 89, verse 1. The Bible says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Psalm 101 verse 1, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto Thee, O Lord, will I sing. 
The very first principle that we have to understand in using music as our form of worship in our day-to-day life is we have to understand who it is that we are singing to. It is always, 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 and only the audience of God that matters. You know what has gotten so much of our Christian music in trouble? Our audience has shifted from God and it has shifted to the hearer. How can I tickle the ears of those that are... What's going to sell more records? I mean, after all, I'm wanting to be a blessing, and the best way to be a blessing is to get my music into the hands of more listeners, right? Well, that sounds like spiritual marketing. Now listen, I want to go ahead and clarify this. We all have our different tastes. Can I use that term? In music. There is some really good God-honoring music that... It just doesn't resonate with me as much. Now, to some people, boy, it's a blessing, and it speaks to. And I've got taste in music that, that, I, that I enjoy, that, it, that is God-honoring, and that leads me to worship, that somebody else may say, man, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for that. The important thing is understanding that there is some stylistic differences. There is some things that, that speak to things differently. But as long as it gets boiled down to the... You know what, I may not like that music, it may not be my style, but it's not, it's not drawing hearts to the world. I don't feel fleshly when I listen to it. I, I just may not like it. That's where we have to draw that line. That's where we have to draw that. So there is a little bit of that. We're all creative and we all express ourselves differently, much like the Gospels, how God uses individual people. But the focus must always be not the target audience that I am selling to, but rather the audience that I am presenting my worship to. And it is always the audience of God. All of those verses. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence. We are coming before God. Now, why is that so important? If we ever lose sight of the fact that God is our audience, now we have stooped to the level of becoming nothing more than entertainers. When we sing in church, if I am more concerned with what's the church going to think when I sing this song, already I have ceased to worship. I am now entertaining the folks in these pews. If my thought and my process is, is the church going to like this song? Are they going to enjoy listening to this? I am no better than the carnal entertainer that stands in front of the, uh, the seats of thousands of people seeking to get praise to myself. And I, I'm, I'm afraid that so many times we've not thought of these things and, and we have ignorantly robbed ourselves of the worship of God. Not intentionally, not trying to be entertainers, not trying to bring heaps of praise to ourselves, but because our thought and our focus has not been on God, we have defaulted to this. So what do we do? We don't look back over what's happened in the past and say, oh man, I blew it. We can't fix that. But what we can start is from today saying, wow, this is an important thing. I need to move forward. We've established who that audience is what we need to do. We've talked about how music impacts our thinking, how vital it is in our day-to-day life. Now I want to take one step further and talk about how music sets the right atmosphere in our life. 
God-honoring music keeps our focus off the world. Sacred music creates around us the atmosphere of worship. So with these two hand in hand, the God-honoring, you know, the, maybe the just-for-fun, light-hearted, good-natured stuff, keeping our attention off the world, sacred music drawing our heart into worship with God, now all of a sudden we have created a daily atmosphere for worship. Not a daily individual time, but a daily so long as my eyes are open and I am cognitive of what's going on around me, I'm in the atmosphere of worship. Now all of a sudden, our daily devotions is more than just our daily time in the morning. Now we are devoted daily. We are engaged all day long. We are prepared to pray without ceasing. We are prepared to honor God at all points in time because our heart is focused on God because we are utilizing the tools that we are putting to God. To, to, give, uh, to, give, our, uh, to give a personal example is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I've got one particular song that I have set as my alarm clock every morning that when it goes off, it goes off. Now, typically, it doesn't make it very far into the song because I get up a little bit earlier than my wife, and so I try to get up and get going before I wake her up and uh, just try to be mindful of that. But I've heard that song enough that it takes about two lines into the song, and I can go ahead and in my mind sing the rest of the song. And, and there's a lot of truth in it, and the song is titled, With Each Borrowed Breath. And I like it because it kind of starts off slow. I'm not a big fan of waking up to the... Because then I wake up mad and in the flesh and carnal. You know, I kind of like to wake up and, you know, be pleasantly escorted into this day. And so this song, it starts off that way. It's, it's very slow. It's, it's peaceful. It's melodious. But it fits the truths of that song. Because the entire song is a prayer of dedication that Lord... With each borrowed breath that you lend to me, I will worship you. I will honor you in the best and worst of times with all that life may take me through. With each borrowed breath you give, Jesus, I will worship you. And I love that song. I love the truths of that song. I love waking up to that song. Because even though I may only hear the first couple of lines, as I'm then now going through my morning preparations and uh, getting prepped throughout the day, that song is in my mind. And it is generating through my heart. And it is setting up that atmosphere of worship. So that now as I get my coffee or get my, my little bit of breakfast there, as I'm going throughout it, I am not sitting down now to open up God's Word thinking... And I'd love to be still in bed. Lord, you're going to have to help me focus on this for a little bit. And now there's still some times where it's like that. But what now I have done is I have taken some steps to prepare my heart for what is happening or for what is about to happen. To safeguard against some of the chaoses of yesterday and some of the, the things that are wrong. And uh, unfortunately, I'd love to be able to say that I get it right all the time, but there's still so much to learn in this. But if we can begin now to take the necessary steps in preparing, then we can go about and make some, uh, make some uh, improvements in our, in our day to day life. Now, I want to clarify something. It is not enough just to have good music playing in the background. That has its benefits. 
the subconscious effects of hearing good music and the effects that it has on the soul and the spirit. All of that is wonderful. But we have to take it a step further, and we now have to listen intentionally. I've recently begun teaching this definition of listening to my children. And if you see Hunter tonight and you say, Hunter, what does listening mean? He'll give you this answer. He'll say, I hear it, and then I do it. Because so many times, as all children do, they've got the, the tendency to be hearers of the world, or, but rather to be hearers of the world but not doers. You know, they hear it, but then it's just like, uh-huh, yeah, you know, kind of like we do in church and in our Bible reading times. You know, we hear it, but we don't really put it into practice. So we've been working on them. Listening means, when I tell you listen, listening means I hear what you're saying and then I do it. It is with that kind of definition that we are to listen to the right kind of music. Because that means I am intentionally opening myself to the benefits that this brings. I am intentionally utilizing this in my worship for the Lord, in my attack against the spiritual enemy. I am listening on purpose. Don't just hear good music, truly listen to it. Now, whether you sing it with your lips or not, although if you're really listening to it and you're engaged with it, I just find it hard to believe that at some point in time you're not going to sing it out loud audibly yourself. But, but whether or not you're engaged, maybe you're in a place that, you know, I, and I, I can't sing out loud, you know, I'm a librarian. So what kind of an example would that set? You know, I'm shushing everybody all day. I, I don't know, that's just the first illustration that popped in my mind. But maybe you can't audibly sing it out with your lips, but you're listening, you're engaged. You are singing it out of the abundance of your heart. You are praying the words of the song, echoing the message of the music and the lyrics. You are now worshiping the God throughout your day with your music. I want to close with this particular statement. Music is so vital to our lives. It is the language of the soul and it is how we express the fruit of our hearts. Matthew chapter number 6 verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure is what you value, what you put priority on, what you go to when you need something. You go to your treasure. You want to know what the quality of your heart is, what songs are you singing throughout the day? What songs come to your mind throughout the day? Now, I understand. Maybe there's somebody in here that has said, Brother Corey, I've never listened to worldly music. I've never listened and exposed myself to that. Wonderful. Praise the Lord for you. But I think the majority of people are going to say, Hey, yeah, Brother Corey, there was a time in my life, there was periods in my life where you know, I, I did this out of the other. Go ahead and mark it down. Those songs are going to pop back in your mind in crucial times. You're going to be aggravated with somebody on the road and then something's going to spark in your mind and your flesh is going to be drawn towards that. And at that point in time, you are going to be faced with the decision. Am I going to allow myself to dwell here or am I going to combat it with that which is from God? That's how you determine where the treasure of your heart is. What are you listening to on a regular basis? What are you filling your mind? What are you filling the storehouse with? Because ultimately that is what is going to come out. That is what is going to be expressed. Remember, listening to good, God-honoring music is I hear it, then I do it. I am putting it 
to use in my life. Don't miss out on this vital tool. We need it. We need it probably more desperately than I think we even realize. It marries so good with the teaching of Scripture and how they come together and they complement one another. Nothing will ever replace the Word of God in our life. Nothing will ever replace the preaching of God's Word in our life. That is always the priority. But anything that we can do throughout our day-to-day time that is going to magnify that Word, that is going to remind us, that is going to continue to draw our attention to that Word, we would be foolish to ignore it. So may we put God-honoring music to work in our lives. May we close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank You for this day that You've given us today. Thank You for this time that we've had to spend just being able to discuss this topic of music. Lord, I love music, and I'm so grateful and thankful for this wonderful gift that You've given unto us. And I ask that You would help each and every one of us to dedicate what we listen to to You, to lay it before You, to ask You to examine it, and not to make changes because the AP mentioned something or Pastor Mike recommended this or anything like that. But may we with full sincerity display every facet of our life and put it under your microscope for you to identify what needs to be changed, what needs to be improved upon. And may our hearts be yielded to however it is that you lead and direct us. For it is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen.